Welcome to the Commonwealth Magazine podcast in partnership with Transit Matters. I'm your host, Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member here at Transit Matters. And I'm your co-host, Jim Aloisi, also on the board of Transit Matters. On the podcast today, we're joined by David Block Schachter, Chief Technology Officer for the MBTA. David, can you um, start by telling us a little bit more about your role um, and, and also your background? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you said, I'm the CTO of the T, and I joined about a year and a half ago from a small shuttle company that might have been uh, talked about on this podcast in the past uh, called, called Bridge, uh, where I was a CTO and, and chief scientist. Um, before that, I was a, a researcher at MIT uh, directing research programs with uh, the MBTA, where I got my PhD. So at, at the T, my job is really to focus on the customers, to figure out how can we use technology to help the customer experience, to help customers through things. So this means a whole scope of projects, everything from big mega, mega projects, things like uh, AFC 2.0, which I hope we get to talk about later, uh, down to smaller projects um, that are still more important, like how do we use technology to better dispatch the green line, or how can we bring... Uh, real-time signage into locations that traditionally wouldn't have had that in order to do placemaking. So it's sort of the remit up and down of how do we use technology to improve our customers' lives. So it's as much about technology as it is about innovation, I gather. Yeah, absolutely. Like the T is doing a gigantic amount of really, really big projects. We've got the green line, we've got new red line and orange line cars, we've got signaling systems. These are big, huge infrastructure projects. And really what my job is to say that these are going to make really massive improvements to the experience of our customers over the coming years, but they take time to build. There are things that we can do right now with technology that can improve our customers' lives. It's about not waiting. When you think about applying technology and innovation to the T, how do you think about it in terms of the diversity of the T rider? Yeah. Folks from different backgrounds, yeah. different age groups, different education. How does that come into your thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, one of the reasons that I'm at the T is because unlike a private company where you focus on the 80% problem and you ignore the 20% to really push through and to you know innovate in that sphere, in the public sector, you don't have um, what some people would call a luxury, but I think that's a lot about ignoring where the real hard problems are, which is reaching the hard-to-reach problem. We have we have to reach 100%. So as an example, um, we're redoing our, our website right now, um, our 2007 Webby Award-winning website. I have the award on my desk. I keep it there. It's long before my time. Um, it didn't change much since 2007. Um, and we've been doing tremendous work. It's in beta right now, t.mbta.com, or if you go on your mobile phone, it'll redirect you there automatically. We say it's in beta. It's actually 60% of our users right now are, are using that site. Um, but what we've done is we've used it as a way of redoing our process. And so throughout the process, we've been going out on the street and talking to people. We've been recruiting people. We've been in, in, in front of that. And we've been working with uh, consultants in terms of improving the accessibility um, so that we have it is uh, perfectly readable with a, with a screen reader. Um, it is uh, perfectly readable for people who have um, uh, disabilities or, or can't see as well, you know, who are colorblind um, or who need various amounts of high contrast or larger screens. Um, and also, we're very focused on the content. How do we write at a level so that everybody can understand? So it's, it's really changed our focus. And I have to say that it's changed our focus for the better because by making those improvements, by thinking about how we serve everybody, we are serving the 80% better as well. 
So universally accessible um, design integrated in the website. Yep. I like what you're saying about the the way that it's written also because I know, I think I know quite a bit about transit, but sometimes I read in um, instructions or notices that are put out by the T and I think, boy, that was written by someone with a lot of operations experience and I don't even understand exactly what they mean. Some, sometimes we don't understand it either, I have to say. And, and one of the things, you know, one of the other things is it's not just about how do you do it right the first time. It's about how do you incorporate those processes of feedback in. So when you build a big infrastructure project, Jim, you know this as well as anyone here, you don't get a chance to be iterative on it. You really have to go and you have to plan hard because it's a gigantically complex, expensive thing. When you build something digitally, you have the opportunity to be iterative. You have the opportunity to go out there mm-hmm. and to put something out there and to be wrong and then to get it better and, and make it better and better and better. And that's something that we're really taking advantage of. And, and hopefully it's a part of a culture that we can help also teach the rest of the tea that, you know, sometimes you can't be iterative, but in many things you can be iterative. You can go out there, you put something out there, and then you listen to your customers and you improve. On the scale of iteration of being able to or not, as you just yeah. mentioned, we did bring up uh, AFC 2.0, which AFC, um, for those out there, would be automated fare collection, and the Charlie card yeah. would be AFC 1.0. Yeah. Um, I, we actually, you know, and, and AFC 0.0 was the tokens, and maybe before <laughs> that it was the nickel. You know, we, we, right. this maybe is our fourth generation. I don't know. but um, so, so is on the scale of being able to iterate, it seems like the Charlie card, yeah. it was sort of like a big procurement, and then you really yeah. couldn't, had, didn't have much flexibility yeah. after you, you bought yeah. that product. Uh, where is AFC 2.0 on that scale? And also, um, can you talk, I know it's an ongoing procurement, but what yeah. can you tell us about sort of the vision and the capabilities yeah. and, and your hopes yeah. for what will happen once we have this? So let me start with the vision and then go into the procurement process because I know, you know, you're very excited. Everyone's very excited to hear about how do you get iteration in procurement. Um, that's a it keeps me very, awake at night. I, I, so. I, well, it actually does keep me awake. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited by it. Um, but... Uh, so, so AFC 2.0, as we say, um, and it will have a better name, I promise, that at some point out there that will not be the branding. You will not get a card that says AFC 2.0. Um, AFC 2.0 is really about how do we take what we have as a system and turn it into something that actually works for people. So the best fare collection system is one that nobody notices, right? But it is the one thing that everybody interacts with, whether you take the subway, whether you take the bus, the commuter rail, the ferry, you interact, you pay in some form. It is the core essentially of what the MBTA uh, does to enable its services, but it's not the MBTA's actual service offering. So what uh, AFC 2.0 is about is about improving service. So it's about being able to accept um, pretty much uh, all types of media. So whether that is your uh, card, um, you know, an MBTA issued fare card, currently it's something like the Charlie card will be going to a more secure and more modern card going forward. Whether it's your phone, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, uh, natively uh, contactless credit cards, which are very popular in London. They've been out there for a number of years. Mm -hmm. So it's really about making it easy, any payment medium. And also the things that we think about as hard right now because of the way that our current system works, but you are are kind of silly that we don't have um, recurring payments. So you should be able to set up a recurring, uh, you know, pass online in an easy fashion. You can technically do it right now, but it's uh, it's an atrocious process. Um, you should be able to, you know, have an auto top up when your card goes down to five bucks. It should be able to go de- up to twenty, like Easy Pass or Starbucks. Um, so we don't miss the train when we're trying to put money back on the card. Exactly, yeah. so that you're not thinking about it. But but really, what it should be doing is it should be improving service. So a big part of what we're doing is we're putting uh, what are called validators, which are things that you tap on at all doors 
of all uh, green line vehicles and all buses, which means that the system will enable by policy all door boarding on all vehicles at all times. So, think so from day one, you're hoping from, that. From, from, from put, day one. Let's put a pause on that for a second because I think this is important. Before we talk about all door boarding in the context of AFC 2.0, yeah. is the vision that some people will be able to use the equivalent of a credit card with a chip so that they don't have to worry about topping off? It's just... Yeah, so th that, yeah. that's what are called contactless credit cards. Right. So they're not something that um, are prevalent here. You know, there's been some... In the, in in the yeah, yeah, I could get into the whole brands and issuers and, like, how the credit card industry works. Mm -hmm. But suffice it to say, it, it, there were some false starts where it didn't end up happening. Uh, we're pretty confident that one way or another it is going to happen, mm -hmm. um, whether it's reissuing plastic or the adoption of, like of mobile Apple phones, of an Apple Pay, which is essentially the same thing, mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, for a large portion of our users, they will never have to get media, um, which means that, you know, if you, there, there's a lot of scenarios there, but the tourist scenario is one that's very easy to think about. Sure. If you come in, you don't have to figure out how you get a Charlie card. You can go and you can just tap your phone or tap your card. By the way, then this is a small thing. Um, there will be no more Charlie Card not accepted here signs in the uh, station attendant booths. Um, every machine that issues cards will, or that issues value, will in fact issue cards. Very good. Now, so I, now let's go back to the uh, the boarding issue and the green yeah. line and the buses. Yeah. A system used a lot in Europe and elsewhere. Yeah. Very efficient way to to get the service to move more quickly because people are not queued up. Maybe we can just talk a little bit about the vision, how that will work. Yeah. So um, the first thing is putting the technology in place. So mm -hmm. you have to be able to have validators, you know, at, at all doors. Um, the second thing is removing cash from onboard vehicles. So this isn't removing cash from the system. Approximately 7% of our riders use cash on buses or on Green Line vehicles. Um, and there's a proportion of our ridership, as we were talking about before, in terms of being universally accessible, that either chooses not to or um, cannot use credit or debit cards, the, under, the unbanked, the underbanked. Um, and those people just choose not to. Um, and we need to be able to support them. We can't make it a hardship for them to do so. Nevertheless, and you are both bus riders, so you know if you are forced to pay cash on board or if you're behind somebody who pays cash on board, you will see that the statistics show that it is 10 to 20 to 30 times in the, the distribution. And we actually published something on the time stands still back yeah. on track blog. The, the, the time distribution of how long it takes is incredible. And, and you know that when you have a time distribution, it doesn't just slow down the trip for everybody, which means that there's less service and trips take longer. It also means that the service becomes more unreliable because if three people pay with cash on one bus and on the next bus nobody pays with cash, all of a sudden those two buses are bunched together. Yep. And so you know we can really improve the reliability. Now what that means is that it's incumbent upon us to make it easier to pay with cash not on board. So we have to have more distribution locations. We have to have fair vending machines in locations where we wouldn't normally have fair vending machines, uh, not just at, you know, red line stops and not just at Dudley, but at, you know, important stops on the 111, at places where people use cash so that on one side or the other of your journey, you can always top up your card if you're one of those people yes. who uses card and uses cash. So to put it plainly, you the future vision is you, you won't be able to use cash to board the bus you will be able to use cash to 
to in a very convenient location exactly. to get the medium that you need to get on the bus. Ex exactly, and this is something you know the the convenient locations. This is this is not something that we are going out and going. We are big innovators in all of this. You know, London removed cash from onboard their buses two or three years ago, and you know it hasn't been an outcry. If anything, it's been the opposite. Um, mm -hmm. And so you know we think that and this is this is really our theory. Um, with the fare collection system as a whole, which is we don't want to be the innovators, right? Right. There are proven technologies that are out there. We mm -hmm. get in trouble with very large systems when we go out and we try and innovate and build something new on a scale of you know a project that costs sure. you know with that has a lot of zeros at the end. Innovation you, comes with risk. This, exactly. Yeah. You want to innovate in the small things and build things that where you can't where there's tech proven technology that already exists. We want to adopt that. Will this work? And I was in the Netherlands a couple of times the past few years, and the chip card, you tap in and you tap out. Will yep. this be tap so, in, tap out? And, and this is where we start getting into the difference between what technology enables and what policy actually mm -hmm. chooses to do. So because we will have validators at all doors of all buses, and because there will be validators installed at both sides of fare gates, which there isn't now. In mm -hmm. fact, you also have to change the way the fare gates are aligned because you have to have the sensors at work and all that kind of stuff. But um, in, in the new system, you, you will have that. So the technology will be in there because when you're putting the system in the first time, it's cheap to put the technology in. To retrofit mm -hmm. it, it then gets to be a very expensive thing. The, the cost driver, when you work at a place like the T, is the installation cost, not the equipment cost. And so when you have to go and revisit, that becomes a big thing. So we're going to put the technology in right now so that we can enable that by policy. Whether we choose to enable it by policy is, is a much larger discussion. Okay. right? But the policies that it does enable you know, aren't just tap in and tap out. It's everything that's you know, around that, which is you know, distance fares or uh, fares based on timing or fares based on riding the local portion of the bus or fares based on you know, uh, specific areas that are in need. It, it enables a mm -hmm. lot of possibilities. Or just being able to transfer between commuter rail and buses and, and subway without having to have a monthly pass to get that transfer. Wouldn't that be nice? So you, you, you mentioned, I thought that was very, uh, very important to mention that in a big transit organization, you may not want to necessarily be innovating on the cutting edge with big yeah. things. Um, so there's two options that are left to you. One is to innovate with very small things and yep. then scale up, and the other is to see what innovative, innovative things are happening in other places that are going well and try to adopt that. So could you speak to those two things? What yep. are and I, One of the small things that comes to mind to me is, is MBTA was very innovative in open data, yep. um, and which gave us countdown timers, which you now see in systems all across uh, the country. So what are the small things we're innovating in, and what are the large... <laughs> What are the large things that you're seeing other systems do that you yeah. want to pair it? So, so first off, on, on my team, there's a guy named uh, Dave Barker who's been in charge of real-time real applications for many years at the T, and he's been the one who's been pushing that through. We were first in the nation seven years ago, and we're continuing to push there. So, you know, uh, you know, if you if you are the kind of transit nerd which I am, who is active on our Google Developers group, who who reads all of that you'll see that we're not satisfied with where we are with open data, even though we've been the leader. Uh, we're trying to push forward so that we can release much more and more structured information um, so that real-time information doesn't just help you when things are going well, which is how it works right now. And the same thing with our countdown clocks that come out of that. Real-time information should help you when things go bad, when there are disruptions, when T is doing a massive amount of really good work right now, right? The, the things that happen on the Newbury-Rockport line, the Commonwealth Bridge, all of that is about reinvesting 
in our infrastructure so that the day-to-day delays don't happen. But what that means is during those periods, you have a week or two or a month where the service is massively disrupted. And the way that the open data systems and the standards work right now doesn't support that very well. So we're pushing really hard with our partners at Transit App, with uh, other agencies, with all, you know all of these to, to sort of redefine those standards and to push that forward so that if you go into a trip planner, whether it's our trip planner or whether it's on Google, you should be able to know that the Newbury Rockport line isn't working and that there's a bus shuttle and it should be represented uh, semantically correctly so that that can actually work for computers and that trip planning works when things are going wrong, not just when things are going well. Um, so that's a, that's a small place. That, that's kind of an example of the kind of small place uh, that we're innovating. There's there's other things. Um, I can have one that's sort of a combination of the two. So one of the projects um, that we're pushing forward that isn't out for bid yet, but it's, it's a small bid, is um, so we've got a massive system. They're called CAD ADL systems, Computer Dispatch Automated Vehicle Location System. So that's what allows our buses to be dispatched. Um, that's what allows uh, the passenger announcements to be made for the head signs on the front of the buses, um, all, of, all, of, all of that information. Um, it uses our system-wide radio, which is an old-school radio, um, which means that you get an update on information about once every minute. Um, and there's some processing. So really, when you see a bus location, it's about 75 seconds old. Now, that's better than seeing no bus location. It's a whole lot better. Uh, and this is, this is what the dispatchers are seeing. <laughs> this, this, is, this is what you have right now. Um, and it's a very expensive system to put in. There are mm-hmm. big companies that put it in. And, you know, it's, it's sort of old school. Uh, we want to put in these relatively small devices that just have a GPS. They plug into the equivalent of the uh, OBD port on your car. It's called an RJ49 on a bus uh, for, for heavy equipment. And basically all it is is it's taking the GPS location of the bus and it's pushing it back to our servers once every two seconds, which means that rather than seeing that bus was three blocks away and now it's one block away from me, you can see that the bus has stopped at the red light. You can see that the bus is moving again. You can see where the bus is. That's the kind of experience which you should be able to have. If you take an Uber, if back in the day you took a bridge, if you take a lift, if you take a, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that's what you expect. We, we can do that, and we don't have to do it in a big procurement way. We can do it in a small procurement So that, I way. guess, dispatchers would then be, I guess, in the field would be ha- having tablets that are showing them this information. Well, that, that, can... That's a different piece of it. I mean, this is really about how do you shrink a project small enough that you can deliver a big customer benefit without trying to put four different pieces on it. It's about how do you build the enabling technologies? How do you just think about GPS rather than thinking about how do I build a new dispatch system? Do you have a policy or a point of view um, in connection with when you seek out uh, technology from vendors that you're looking more for open source solutions than proprietary or custom solutions? So we're looking for systems that are open, not necessarily systems that are open source. That is, it doesn't matter to us how it's developed. It matters to us what the connections are. We're looking for systems that have APIs that we can work with in and out so that we can interconnect them in the systems. However, when we build things, we are looking to make sure that in as much as it is possible, we open source the things that we build ourselves. Mm-hmm. Not because we think that there's going to be some guy on the street who's going to come and contribute some massive amount of code that's going to improve things, but because if we're lucky enough to be able to build something, there are, for, for every one of us, there are 99 transit agencies who aren't lucky enough, who don't have the startup culture and the community that we have you know, in Boston and, and aren't able to build it. So if we can build something and release it, it can help out other communities as well. And it's not even small communities. I've been to very large cities. Um, 
that may not have the same ubiquitous transit mindset, but still are having proprietary, yeah. you know, in, in-house built apps that are very frustrating to use. Yeah, and, and in general, you know, our, our strategy is if we don't have to build it, we don't want to build it. So, you know, in the last year and a half, um, I've been lucky enough to be able to recruit a great team um, that are not people who traditionally work at the T. Um, you know, my head of engineering uh, comes from Kayak. We have, you know, my principal software architect comes from Zipcar. We have multiple people from the startup community, from people who wouldn't traditionally work at the T, who are here, not because they're going to be the, here for 25 years, because they want to be here for two years to give back to their community, to work on an incredibly exciting project of being able to serve at scale, you know, 1.3 million daily trips, as opposed to a startup that has, you know, 10 or 50 or 100,000 users and to work on something that actually matters. Um, so when we build something, we build it right. But even with that team, when we can avoid building something, when we can buy something that exists, we should always do that because the long-term support for a model like the T just matters when you buy something from a, you know, from a commercial company that's going to be there and going to be able to keep innovating over the course of the next however many years. Is there certain data that you have that you're not happy with or that you just don't ha- have enough of that either yeah. AFC 2.0 or other yeah. technologies will help you develop? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, AFC 2.0 is going to give us real-time data on the fare collection system, and that's not mm-hmm. something that we have. Um, you know, we get at the end of every uh, quote-unquote shift at the end of the day, we get information um, from when people go through subway gates. We only get information on when people use the fare collection system from buses and from Green Line trains when they're do something called probed, when they're back yeah. at the yard. And that could be two weeks from now. Yeah. Um, you know, real-time information will allow us to do a better job of reacting in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole lot more than that that, that I'd love to have. Uh, we have a partnership with Transit App that we started about a year ago. So from them, uh, we get a tremendous source of data on not just where people are taking the system, but where their journeys are starting and where their journeys are ending, what their actual journey looks like, not just how it interacts with the system. We haven't done anything with that yet, but we think that there's tremendous possibilities there, especially as you get into yeah. a lot of the service planning you know, efforts that are that are just starting to get underway. Sure. Well, that helps also, I assume, with the sort of critical uh, last mile, first mile discussion, right? Knowing where those people are finally... Th- that, that's exactly it. Look, people don't take yeah. transit to take transit. They take it to right. get from wherever they are to wherever, wherever they're going. And if we can begin to have a better understanding of that, then we can design service that actually meets that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's a topic that I'm sure we'll get to at some point, but that, that was the impetus. That was the exciting, exciting thing to me about bridge, which was if you do away with a lot of the constraints that you have on public transit, what can you do to actually better serve the customers? What does transit looks like? Transit look like that's trying to serve the customers that can be responsive to where people are and where they're going. Um, and I think that's something that the MBTA should and is aspiring to in, in a different way because we have a different mission. Um, but I think that's really important. Well, let's talk about Bridge. I think, we, I think we're always interested to know maybe what, <laughs> what's the insider's view of what happened. But I think more importantly is what lessons did you learn that can be applied to um, transit startups, to first-class mile issues, to ride-hailing, yeah. to all of the innovation we're seeing on the private side of transit. And that we're trying to figure out how can transit agencies be more flexible and how can they cooperate yeah. with these other options that are becoming available. Yeah. So, you know, I, I haven't been at Bridge for, for a while, so I don't know a whole lot about what happened in the, in the last year or so of, of when Bridge was around. Um, the, the reason that I went back to the public sector talks a little bit about how I think about the future of these, which is when I was there, what I saw 
um, was that it was going to be very hard ultimately for a private company like that to begin to integrate its services into the public realm, right? And for that company to be truly successful, I really believe that there needs to be an integration with the private realm. That doesn't mean that, or the public realm, that doesn't mean that the MBTA or Dallas Agency Rapid Transit or whoever should be running those services, but it means that it needs to be able to be thought of as part of the spectrum of services that are being offered, just like I work for the T and I take the T all the time, but I also take Uber and Lyft and I also walk and I also bike and all of those things contribute to the fact that I can live without a car. Um, I can also live without a driver's license, which helps for the reason that I don't drive, but um, it, you know, I, so so I think that the, the 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 promise of something like Bridge is 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 really there. Now, the difficulties are really that um, for a private company running, uh, you can't compete with public transit. Public transit has a mission, and our fares are kept low to not to recover costs, but to meet that mission of being able to be accessible to everyone. A private company isn't going to be able to compete with that on a large scale. You know, there will be niche places mm -hmm. where it can compete, whether it's, you know, in terms of point-to-point, -point, you know, which is how I think about the TNCs, uh, or whether it's in terms of small routes that are missed that don't make sense. Um, but I do think what Bridge says is that there are opportunities for big transit agencies to think about smaller vehicles. I'm a tremendous advocate for smaller vehicles. The 40-foot bus didn't, or the 60-foot bus, didn't come down from heaven. It's not the platonic form of a bus. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I've been around and, you know, you guys have traveled as well, and you know that in, in many countries, you know, minibuses, um, you know, much smaller vehicles really are prevalent, that they, that they are the industry, because they have some amazing advantages. Um, you know, their ability to be much more flexible. You can do more or something closer to point to point when you've got 13 people in a vehicle rather than when you've got 55 people in a vehicle. It, it makes a tremendous amount of difference. Um, so I think that, you know, the T can learn from the fact that we don't have to just use 40-foot buses everywhere. We can also learn from the fact that you can do a service planning process that doesn't take place once every 10 years, if that. You know, uh, you, you, can, you can do a service planning process, and, and this is something I'm really proud of at Bridge, where you don't change everything on every day, but you are constantly assessing the data, and you are constantly ensuring that you are looking at where your customers are coming from and going to, and you are improving the service so that the service gets better. You know, and I, I think that, you know, right now we have to focus on, we haven't done a really good look at our bus routing at the T in a long time. So we have to focus on doing the big picture first. But I hope that as we get that right, you know, looking at companies like Bridge allows us to say, we can do this much more iteratively to get back to that. We can do it so that we are not changing our entire bus routing every, you know, week, but that there's a way of looking at where the stops are going, you know, what the schedule timing is, and looking at changing traffic conditions. So there isn't a new schedule released, you know, once a quarter, but there's a new schedule that's released pretty constantly. And a lot of that is about enabling the digital infrastructure, enabling the phones, and enabling people to look at that so that they can keep up with that, that we're not put on paper schedules anymore. I think what this conversation is highlighting, at least for me, is that the true innovation that's going to be coming at the T and probably other places won't really be primarily seen in the subway experience. It's going to be seen in the bus experience. Bus is going to be more agile. 
and more flexible. We, subways are what they are. They're fixed. They're tunnels. They're going to go from point A to point B, and yeah. they're not going to be agile. But that's not true for the bus. And is that how you, uh, you're all thinking yeah, about this? I, I would say that I think that there's still a lot that we can do for the subways. I mean, look, mm-hmm. the new red line and orange line cars are going to do wonders. They're beautiful mm-hmm. on the inside, and, you know, they're, they feel more spacious. They're better for, for loading and unloading. They're, they hold more people. They will uh, reduce the amount of dwell times in the stations. They break quicker so they can be closer together. There'll be a unified uh, fleet mm-hmm. so that, you know, it, there's a tr- so that we will able, actually be able to put markings where you should stand um, you know, you can't do that on the red line right now because you've got two different kinds of cars. So, you know, you get one and then the next. Um, so I think that there's a lot of things, a lot of big investments that are happening in the subway that are really going to improve them. But in terms of a lot of the... And then there's also things like um, the, the digital advertising contract, which we call digital advertising, but a large proportion of the screens, and I've been working um, with a team that's building that out, is going to be about bringing big real-time information, not just the countdown clocks, but real-time information on where the trains are, on disruptions, on things that you can do on these really beautiful screens to our customers. So mm-hmm. I, I think that you will see a lot of things there. But but buses, buses are, I mean, I used to say this a lot at Bridge. Buses suck. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't get more than that. We can do a whole lot better than the way our buses work right now. And it's not that the T's buses suck. It's that Bus travel is, for the most part, not something that you choose to do. You do it because you take transit, either because you have to or, or by choice, and that's where you live. That's what you have to do. It doesn't have to be that way. We can make buses a whole lot better. And and so I think that it isn't that you won't see innovation in the subway. It's that the room to grow on the bus side is just so large, whether it's the small pieces in the buses or whether it's the larger pieces of how do we bring, how do we bring protected bus lanes? How do we bring all-door boarding? How do we bring, you know, all of those sorts of elements of better buses into the conversation? Have you found, have you, have you been talking to municipalities about initiatives like traffic signal priority? And are you finding willing and yeah. capable municipal partners? Yeah, so, you know, there's there's three municipalities. There's a couple others. There's a lot of people that keep working on it, so I may miss some of the stuff that, that we're working on. But uh, Cambridge, Brookline, and Boston, you know, there are all projects in one phase or another going on. Um, in terms of our buses, we installed to get back to our computer-aided dispatch APL system. We installed an upgrade to that system so that we can request priority or it will be over the course of the next couple of months from all of our buses um, easily. So the bus um, itself will request priority at the traffic lane? If if it's enabled within the system. So right. the T will not be the bottleneck in the implementation mm-hmm. of this. And we've been very clear on that. And my team's working with that. But TSP is it's a great solution. But it's also, you know, the way it's thought about right now, it's not a quick solution to implement. You have to analyze each and every intersection. The municipality has to have the proper technology, yes. uh, whether it's a centralized signal or whether it's distributed, and and that costs money. It's not something that municipalities tend to have thought about in the past. So and the bus has to be on the correct. Or the, the station needs to be on the correct side, side of the street, always, which is yeah. part of the analysis. So, so the way it's thought about right now, there's a whole lot of analysis. So you know, one of the things that you know a lot of people at the team are thinking about, and you know, my team's taking some of the work on that, is how do we burn through those impediments? How do we make sure that this isn't something that rolls out one intersection at a time? So eventually all 530 intersections in Boston are implemented in 2035, right? That's not a success case for TSP. The success Mm -hmm. case is how do we think about this problem more holistically? How do we bring other types of learning there so that you can analyze all 
of the bus stops at once and say, here are the criteria. How do you work with the city of Boston, city of Cambridge, et cetera, so that we start with pilots. Pilots are great. They prove everything out. But you need a plan to win the entire thing, to get it so that at every intersection where buses go through, if there's a bus coming, the light should stay green. Are you able to take the data you're getting from Transit App and from and from the open data you have with the buses mm-hmm. already um, to tell to go to the city of Boston and say, here are ten intersections that if if we put if we made the signals the traffic signals capable of, of TSP um, and maybe some other things that could be mm-hmm. done, you could say we would save you know X amount of time for your commuters. So there are a lot of those conversations going on right now. It, it you know it, is it quantified within 23 seconds versus 28? No, but you know from the data in terms of who's running mm-hmm. the buses and where the delays are happening, that that is analysis that we do. That's analysis that the city of Boston, Cambridge does. So there are some pilot projects and that that's really about how do we get started? Um, and getting started is really important, but one of the things with the technology focus that I have is not just how do we do something that is a one-off, but how do we do something that is repeatable and can scale? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited about a lot of the, the projects that we have going on right now, but really where I want us to focus on as these things begin to succeed, and they, they will succeed and they will improve, you know, they, they will improve the journey for customers, even if the customers will never even notice it. Um, but it's how do we do that for all of our customers? So help our listeners visualize for a minute the bus trip of the future. Like, what's the bus stop of tomorrow going to yeah. look like with the, the technology that you're envisioning, and what's yeah. that experience going to be like? So, so one of the things, uh, one of the other smaller projects that I'm really excited about is um, is how do we get real time information into places that don't have real time information? You know. I use Transit App. I use our own, you know, my our, our own website. So it's great. I leave my house a minute before the bus comes. I get right there. I never wait at the bus stop. I've got all of that information. But despite all of our efforts, despite that our data has been open for seven years, despite the fact that we endorsed Transit App so that we'd have a clear path for people who hadn't yet adopted one of the apps to to go to, despite all of that. There's a tremendous number of people who aren't using real-time information on buses, and buses are really where it transforms the experience. Um, and so, while it was, I think, all of our hopes that just by opening the data, everyone would use it and it would transform the experience. I don't think we can do that. I think that it's incumbent upon us to experiment with how do we bring real-time information to the bus stops themselves. How do we make that physical manifestation of what we have, which is, if you're a bus rider, you know what your bus stop looks like. You know it up and down. If you're not a bus rider, you probably don't even know that the bus stop exists. How do we bring, how do we begin to bring that physicality of the bus stop into the experience? So um, we've got a project uh, right now, which is actually on the green line because it's a great place to start with it, um, but it is bringing different kinds of signs uh, onto the green line. So traditionally, when you put up a sign, you have to run power and communications. Mm-hmm. Power and communications are expensive. It turns it into a big capital project. Um, there's fantastic technology out there, which is uh, electronic ink, the same thing that's in your Kindle, and solar. And the great thing about e-ink is it doesn't take a whole lot of power. So uh, right now we're just starting a pilot, just figuring out what companies we want to work with to bring e-ink and solar signs to places on the green line that don't have any signage. And we think that that's really promising because what e-ink and solar is is four bolts in the ground. And four bolts in the ground means no construction costs. It's just the cost of the thing itself. And that's a really big deal in being able to change our physical footprint. So for your vision of the bus stop of the future and the bus of the future, you will get to the bus stop 
Um, you know, some bus stops won't have anything, but, you know, bus stops, especially where there are more and more people, mm-hmm. will have some information that tells you, you know, the next bus is in three minutes. Um, hopefully, if there's a school bus that stops there as well, it'll tell you that the next school bus is coming in two minutes mm-hmm. as well, that mm-hmm. it's really a stopping point. Um, you know, if we've got deals with the TNCs or bike share, the bike share is, you know, two blocks that way, or right. hopefully there's a bike share right there at, at, at many of the stops. Um, so you get there, you'll, you'll see that information. If it's a popular stop, there'll be a fair vending machine or, you know, there'll be a direction that says if you go around the corner, there's a 7-Eleven. And if you pop in there, you can, you know, add cash to your card mm-hmm. or you can use all of this. Uh, the bus will pull up. Um, customers will exit through all doors. Customers will enter through all doors. There will be validators on either side of the rear doors of the buses so that customers can exit two at a time or can enter and exit at the same time and both tap. Uh, you will get on the bus and you will end up at your destination. Um, on the buses, uh, you'll notice that there are security uh, cameras that are shown on a large portion of our buses. Um, we're actually have a small project right now, which is working on how do we take that and take that asset that we have and repurpose it so that while you're on the bus, there'll also be a screen at the front, and that screen, in addition to the security cameras, will cycle through, you know, the transfer points. So if you're going to Forest Hills, it'll say the next, you mm-hmm. know, Oak Bound, uh, Oak Grove Bound Orange Line train is in six minutes. Bus will be there in five minutes, so that you know that either you're going to make it and you're going to run, and I'll say that the one after that, you know, is two minutes later, so that you know that you don't have to worry about it. It's about how do we bring this information not just to the people like me who are looking at this already on our smartphones, but to everybody who's riding the bus, so that people don't have to look at their smartphones, so that they can do Facebook on their smartphones or whatever they want to do, or maybe have a conversation with someone to read a book. So the power of technology can help improve the tea in a way that makes it even more egalitarian. That's really remarkable. Yeah, I, I really do. And I think that digital is the way that we can do that, that we have the big assets. We have the infrastructure. Yes, we need more buses. Yes, we need to run more service. And yes, we should fight for that. But on the buses that we have, we can do a whole lot better. Well, David, I want to thank you for not only sharing a few details about what is currently happening to implement um, the use of tech uh, in the MBTA operations and planning, but also and to make the customer service experience better, but also sharing your vision for what can happen in the future um, using those tools. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, David.